If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. As always, my lovely co-host, Mr. John Small. Hey, everybody. It is so great to be back and very excited about the episode today. And sorry about the abbreviated clapping. (laughs) The audience was not told to clap. Clap. There they go. There they go. I I thought thought you were going to do a bomb bomb hit when I introduced you. Yeah, well, we'll do that after we announce our guest. So our guest, yes, we have a guest. We didn't have a guest last week, but we have a guest. Yeah. So uh, our guest is uh, Mr. John Manlove, right? (laughs) CEO and co-founder and founder of Apex Trading and Bushel 44. Yes. Welcome. Welcome, John. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Well, you can have it. looks good. You don't look, I can only see a little few beads of sweat on the top. Is it uh, other sweat? Yeah. No. You you look. I look shiny a little bit, right? Yep. John, welcome, welcome, welcome. welcome. So, Thanks, guys. So, John, let me let me just preface uh, one thing. The, the main reason why I wanted to have you on the show, we don't really know each other, but we have a, a uh, we have a, a acquaintance in common who works with you, Mr. Rob Fest. But my my interest was was has to do with taking acid in Alaska. Is this something you can uh, expand on? Because I'm super interested <laughs> in that. I don't care about your company. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just curious about that. Let's get to the juicy stuff, right? <laughs> right. Let's just yeah, start, wow. let's just you start just, this you don't thing even... off with a bang, you know, and no better way than uh, Aurora Borealis ass in Alaska, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I have ADD, so my mind is going to go. It's going to go in different directions all the time. But let's just start with that. Let's hit it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh Acid. Wow. Nothing, nothing against psychedelics, big fan of them. Right. Um, right. and, uh, as I look back, you know, maybe there are certain places that they, they, uh, shouldn't be, uh, and that's probably in the workspace. Right. So, um, <laughs> unless, unless that's what you're doing for your, your uh, unless you're microdosing, maybe it's gonna unless be, maybe you're doing some micros. Right. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Rob and I, you mentioned, you know, we had the pleasure of entering the canvas space and launching the first online wholesale marketplace, uh, in 2014 called, called Trative. Right. Uh, one of the founders of that company, a good college friend of mine, you know, he called me and said, Hey, I'm gonna start the Amazon a weed, you know, come be part of it. And I said, well, hell yeah, man, why, why not? You know? Yeah. So that sounded great. Uh, so you jumped in and, uh, around 2016, as we had built a pretty big company, we had 35 employees. We had raised, uh, about four and a half million dollars. We were Inc 30 under 30 company winner. The, the founder was, you know, he got married and decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Alaska and, and take a little journey. Uh, so him and his wife went up to Alaska 
uh, you know, I get this call halfway through his trip and it might've been the trip to Alaska and his psychedelic the, the trip. trip. Right. I was going to ask which trip. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he goes, John, you know, something crazy happened. I'm like, what? He's like, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like I've got Jesus and Hitler <laughs> possessing me and they're fighting in my body. And I'm not sure which one to go with in this whole thing. And, and next thing you know, he comes back from Alaska and, and thinks he's, he's the next coming of Jesus on the planet. So we're talking nice. like full robe, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, big wooden cross, stop shaving, rope sandals. He went all in, you know, he, he was serious. Wow. Wow. Uh, and you think in a workplace, uh, you know, coming up and <laughs> that, that can kind of disrupt a little bit of, of, of confidence in the staff and the team. So, uh, we were in San Diego at the time and I moved down to San Diego about two weeks after that, that journey from Portland and, uh, tried to, tried to help, help save the company a little bit there, but it was, uh, it was quite the, it was quite the interesting, uh, phone call and experience there for, for several weeks when you got a, a founder who, uh, thinks he's God. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I went to visit Rob at, at that time in San Diego and he was, he didn't tell me what was exactly going on, but he said, we have some, uh, some stuff going on internally within the company, but he didn't tell me that the, you know, the CEO became Jesus or born again. Jesus. You know, and it's, it's unique that I've had several conversations with people outside the space and investors, et cetera. And I guess, you know, this happens every once in a while, you know, a founder kind of falls off, a CEO might fall off the rocker a little bit and dive into some psychedelics and, and maybe change their perception of who they are and what maybe they are in the world. Uh, so I guess that's the thing about trying to balance life uh, and work a little bit better and take care of oneself, but, uh, you know, teach their own, you know, some of us find, uh, going down the rabbit hole for drugs is a great way. Other ones say, well, maybe I'll just work out, meditate, <laughs> eat better food, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically get to hit the same part of your brain when you, when you meditate, if you're doing it, uh, you know, the right way too. But I find it fascinating because, you know, my company does uh, DNA testing to help somebody with a personalized experience with uh, uh, their endocannabinoid system. But part of that, we're looking into psychedelics now too. And, and it's so interesting because some people are predisposed to getting, you know, a psychotic like episode. And if they, if they already know this in advance and they take, you know, whatever a hero's dose is for that individual, well, that shit can turn itself on and it can manifest itself as, you know, Jesus in this case, or he could have went the other way uh, and went with Hitler. So I think you, you hit, it was, it was good that he went with, uh, you know, the, the left or the right. I don't know, John, uh, uh, John, John Small, which one, right or left, which, which side uh, is, uh, is Hitler? I think right side is the creative side, right? Right. Um, even, right. Although now they're finding that isn't true. But yeah, I think if I was struggling with Jesus and, and Hitler, it would it would make me a wreck, and and probably nobody would win, and it would be a horrible trip for about eight hours. <laughs> That's what, a, you know, they, they say that you know when when you're doing psychedelics, a trip, there's no such thing as a bad trip, even though some people may experience it that way. They say basically whatever it is that's trying to get through. Uh, that's the message that you're getting. So if the message you're getting is scary or frightening got to dig deeper and explore that and not just stop at one. But some people get stuck in that. And uh, now I know there is some treatment that people are doing with ketamine and with the MDMA and other substances to help people get past that hump. So some pe sometimes people get into this, uh, this hero's dose and they're stuck in that side, but they needed to explore deeper. Like I recently had an experience with DMT. So I, I, went, I went into that journey, the first journey, 
that I did. And by the way, I didn't do my hero's journey yet because I'm scared of it, but I'm scared of it for a reason. The first one, I felt like I was falling off a ladder and I was trying to hold on to rungs and I was just falling. There was no end. And I was, it felt, you know what it felt like? Um, If I can do an analogy, if you're, if you, I felt the same way, getting naked and jumping in an ice cold ocean you get that, you know, that that whole that whole thing. That's what it kind of felt like the entire time. And it, there's no sense of time. You don't know where you are and all that stuff. So the second uh, time, and it was like right after the first time. It wasn't like two separate days. It was that wasn't enough. I have to do a little more because I, I wasn't right. I wasn't going far enough. And the second time I did, I closed my eyes. I lost all sense of reality. I didn't know where I was, but I saw these geometric shapes. I have no idea what they mean. I don't know nothing about it, but I went in that. And I, I still, and I was told, did you see those little creatures or whatever they talk about? I'm like, no, well, you got to go further. And then some people get stuck in that. I turn on the switch, they're in Jesus mode, but maybe what it is, it's an entry into an exploration that they have to kind of go further. And then, you know, like I said, some people are just scared and they get stopped there. That's why it's important to have a guide because when you're yeah. alone in Great that, point. I mean, you might just be like, can somebody get Hitler out of my left ear? I, you know, I don't know. That was the problem is the first time I really tripped, I didn't have a guide. I was with a guy who I barely knew. And we were walking in the streets of Manhattan when it kicked in. I, I was, I did everything. <laughs> your, wrong. your guide, your guide, everything was, your was wrong. He's like, he's like, hey, man, let's just take a, let's go. It's like a guy didn't Times even know. It's a guy was trying to impress. Let's do acid and go to Times Square, which is the worst. Exactly. It's horrible idea. the worst idea. We're walking around downtown, and, I, and, and it was a guy I was trying to impress. He was like a book agent, and I wanted to impress him. So I was like, yeah, I'll do shrimp with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, and he actually said to me, he just turned around in the middle of her, and he said, I just saw Jesus. And I was like, oh my God, we got to get back to your house. And then I think the whole, the whole trip was us trying to find his apartment. It was like a, was like a bad Martin Scorsese movie. Where we couldn't like get to his apartment. I couldn't get back <laughs> to where I had started from. It, but anyway. It's so much of like going into it with a purpose, right? So yeah. I think, you yeah. know, you can't just like abuse psychedelics away. I think right. there's a lot of examples of people who have, right? And they don't necessarily mm-hmm. have the better for it. But I think it's like, you know, are you mentally sound going into it, right? And I think right. that if you had, I think in this experience and maybe in my personal experiences too, when you have a lot of personal things going on, like the stress and anxiety of being a CEO and building this company right. and doing all these things and you get married and all of that, uh, maybe going into it and maybe there are other issues that, that I wasn't aware of, you know, that, that right. culminated in him having this, this issue. Right. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those, uh, big DMT fan personally for myself. Yeah. Uh, when I discovered that, um, you know, drug, I guess is what you could call it, but I think the spirit molecule, right? Hey, we, we have uh, it inside amazing, of us. Right? We produce it. It's, yeah, uh, it's one of know. these amazing, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, for someone who likes to be in control a lot of the time, five, six, eight hours is a hell of a long time to journey into my own stratosphere, exactly. ultimately ending up in my own head, right? And uh, with DMT, it's that 20, you know, that 10 to 20, 30 minute kind of experience where you can go in and maybe see that thing, that creature, that spirit animal, whatever that yeah. is, or yep. you're in the fractal universe of boxes falling that, off. You, it was right? that. Yeah. It was that for me. But you, but you hit the nail on the head. I, I mean, first of all, it's set and setting. And, and I don't want to just talk about psychedelics. We're going to talk about your company and all that stuff. I'm just curious. So I'm just kind of going with the flow. Uh, the the thing that that is interesting, it's I, I'm a person who likes to control as well. I'm a CEO of a company, but also like I like to be in control. And being out of control is scary. But sometimes we need to be out of control to be able to let go of that stuff because that's the whole journey. And and as you, it's it's getting that intention, setting up from what is it that you want to do. And, and 
like the fear of it is for me, it was a loss of control. That's why I felt like I was falling because, oh my God, something's taken over. I can't control my situation. And usually when you take substances, that is always my thing. It's like, I'm going to be calculated with what I do. If I'm going to do LSD, which I haven't done like in many years, but then I did again, I'm going to start with a little dose. I'm going to see how it goes and I'll do it. And I'm always scared and and cautious to do like a hero's dose right up uh, in front. But with DMT, I don't think there is much of a choice. You are getting on a roller coaster and you're going to go. There is no, you're going up, but you're going to go down. And there's no, you can't hold on to anything. And that's that's the whole experience, uh, which was like Lego. Lego the blast off is quick and it's real, man. And it's, yeah, it's you're so like, whoa, what? You know, and I think it's, it's so just, I guess you can equate this to like edibles. You know, when you first eat, when you eat your first edible, you're not probably popping a 500 milligram, right? You're probably going to start with that two and a half. Ease into it and see, right? Let's not start with the- Maybe. I'm never doing that. Again. Maybe. There's some people, you know, It's and it's funny because, and we talk about this all the time, uh, uh, you know, there's some people that are poor metabolizers, right? So if that's the case and they do an edible, uh, John, uh, they do an edible, like for me, I'm good 50 milligrams. I can do, I'm good. I have a, I have a friend of mine who uh, works with me, 100 milligrams is nothing. Like she'll do 100 milligrams and it's cool. I have uh, my other part, my business partner and and John, he goes, we're doing gummies. He takes an ear off a gummy. He's like, oh man, I'm so high. I'm done. And so, and this is personalized experience with anything that you do. So yeah. Anyway, where where, where did you go up? Where were we? Let me ask you guys. Well, (laughs) let me ask you one question though. Some people who tell me that the, you know, I, I was interviewing a pretty well-known, I can't even think, of course, I can't even remember his name, who, a guy writes, writes and talks a lot about psychedelics. And he was saying that the trip like he had from eating too many edibles was so much more intense and, in, in, in his case, unpleasant than the trip that he had when, he, when, he, when he's done like mushrooms yeah. or psychedelics. Uh, do you guys, have you guys have a similar experience? Yeah, I've, I've had a experience where I've eaten maybe that, home, that homemade brownie that you had no idea how much had in it, mostly like right. in high school days, right? Where yeah. you're just like, Whoa. And then you like, you're on the couch and you literally feel like you can't move. Like you just can't get up and you're just sunk and you can't talk and just you're spinning. You know, you feel like you're close to blackout drunk, but you're just really high, you know? Uh, so I've had that, but it's been a while, I guess, (laughs) since I've experienced, I think I had one or two. I'm like, okay, I'm going to kind of ease off. Maybe I'm that, I'm that guy who metabolizes pretty quick too. It hits me me like a ton of bricks. I can smoke a joint all day and be fine. But, uh, Sometimes yeah. those edibles just for me, you know. So yeah. I'll answer it this way, John. From a scientific standpoint, <clears throat> it hap- it me- it has to do with what other predispositions you have. So if you have a mm-hmm. predisposition to psych- psychosis or psychotic like effects or stress reactivity, and you take that cannabis edible, it can actually turn that switch on. So that switch can be like holy shit, it's not just the edible, how it's affecting my body. It just turned on a whole bunch of other things that I didn't know existed. Certain psychedelics don't affect you in that way. They hit different pathways. So you don't have the same kind of expression. It was psychedelics having a a trip. It's just a very, very long trip, but you know what you're going to expect going in for the most time, uh, for the most part. Uh, You know, for me, I've had I don't want to call them negative and positive, but pretty intense experiences with psilocybin. And it's because mm. I didn't know how much I was taking. As John was just saying, like brownie, but somebody somebody gave me this round medallion and they said, hey, uh, and, and plus with mushrooms, it depends on what type of uh, mushroom you're using. 
there's different mushrooms that have mm-hmm. different amounts of psilocybin and different kind and all that stuff, and they affect you differently. But for me, I have this weird thing that happens when I when I have a intense trip. It affects my body temperature. I start freezing. Mm. And I'm trying to get warm. And I don't know what it is, but it's something that has to do with something that gets uh, flicked on and I get really cold. And I have to lay down if I'm having that experience, and I, and I, but I want to be in nature. So it's, it's this dichotomy of like, I want to put on winter clothes in the summer and sit outside and sweat while I feel like I'm cold. So it's a really strange experience, but it's personal. Everybody has their own thing. I, but I, I do believe that people go into a psychedelic experience with at least expectations that they're in it for a long ride. Mm-hmm. They're going to have an intense experience. I don't think people realize that it's eating a gummy may cause them to have a very intense experience. So I think it's just it seems so innocent. They're little, they're little, they're little bunnies, <laughs> and and you know, little gummy bunnies, and you're oh, sweet gummy, and then you know. Your couch lock for five I'm going to talk about that. That's another topic about <laughs> the, the Pensacola mom uh, thing, but I'll, I'll talk about it. I don't want to take yeah. up, uh, you know, John's time on this. So anyway, John, wh- where'd you go up? Uh, I actually grew up in Branson, Missouri. Yeah. So right smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. Um, it's where I grew up. Wow. Uh, went to college to, at Drury University, a small private school. And then uh, two weeks after graduating, moved to Portland, Oregon and uh, have no intention of going back. So back to Branson. Yeah. yeah. You like, you like living in Portland? I do. Yeah, yeah. I've been here for 11 years now. City has changed a lot in 11 years as I think most metropolitan areas have yeah. across the country, some for the good, some for the bad. Um, I always tell people though, I was in Oklahoma last week. It was really funny. I was there for Canacon and get in my lift. And he's like, where are you coming from? Portland. The Portland, Oregon. I'm like, hey, he's like, ooh, stepping into enemy territory now. You know, you got to be careful around here. So I was like, oh, you know. And, he, and then, of course, you know, everyone in Oklahoma thinks it's, you know, it's shown on Fox News is what happens in Portland. And it's, oh, oh, I didn't know what I didn't know what you were referring to. You mean you mean like the 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 militant? You're the anti-fog capital. Yeah, they kind of look at it as like, okay, here's Oklahoma. It's kind of a deep red state. Portland people don't want to be here. You know, you guys are all, you know crazy leftist liberals or out of there or burning the city down or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, And I think that there's a probably, there's a, not the best, you know, I guess it's a kind of false conception around what, what actually is going on out here. There's a group like everywhere, but uh, overall, I mean, the city is, you know, it's Portland. It's what it's always kind of been, you know, we speak out for people. We have a a long, a big voice and long protest history. And, uh, and that's just part of the, you know, the blood of the, the city. Yeah. I'm hoping now that the world is going to open up again, that we'll, we'll venture out of beyond our Fox News and uh, Sinclair News or whatever, you know, even if you're watching MSNBC, this sort of bias, right, like that, that an Oklahoman would have about a Portland person. Because all somebody has, from Oklahoma has to do is visit Portland and vice versa. Right. And you're like, the hype is so not true. Nah, Portland's you know? pretty weird, I have to admit. I've been there. Portland's weird, times. but it's a great city. It has great food. Sure, of got, course. I've never been, oh. but I, but I hear wonderful <laughs> things Dude, about it. Here, you know, it's, uh, the cannabis, the fear, the food, the, the I was women. Telling, oh. the, you're, you're like our second guest in a row that's from Portland. And I was just telling our John and, and my previous guest, I forgot the name of this place that I stayed at last. It's something fur. Uh, some Doug fur that you, yeah, 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 exactly. It's that place. So this is, this to me is a perfect culmination of what Portland is. So you can see it. It's the room, and I was describing last time. So our hotel room 
First of all, it had a mural of Spider-Man from like the floor to the ceiling, all the way uh, to the ceiling where he's got webs everywhere. It gave they gave you condoms right on your nightstand so you can uh, you know practice uh, safe. That's very but, yeah, it's very know, progressive, considerate. Right? Do you think yeah. some people do Gidget Bible and other people? Well, they had a Bible. They had the condoms on the Bible, so they're kind <laughs> right, of that's kind poor of both. <laughs> and then and then the place itself is so oddly decorated. It's super random. It looks like a log cabin and they have a Sasquatch. They have a player piano and like modern stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty weird. It's cool. I dig it, but I can't really, I don't know what style they were going for. It's just like a bunch of random stuff. That's, That's kind of what, central point. They have the concert venue down below. Did you go? Which see was so cool, right? Which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of that place. Those venues, you know, they just, I think they're just now opening back up. So I know all of us out here are just chopping at the bit to get out and see some shows, see some music, yeah. you know? Yeah, I have a good friend of mine that lives there. He's a chef. So he was taking us to some amazing restaurants. So I had great food. I had great cannabis and listened to some good music. So to me, it's great, great city. That's That sounds like heaven. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about like how you, you went into this Amazon uh, kind of, uh, of weed and uh, then it, it sort of transitioned and, and, and formed into Apex Trading from Tradeoff, correct? Oh, how yeah. was that transition? Exactly. You know, so we were with, with Trative, which is that company, you know, we started in 2014, uh, ended up winding the company down in 2017 after one founder had his uh, religious epiphany and the other founder uh, got in a little trouble with an employee for having a relationship with her, right? Which which yeah. I think is a big no-no, right? <laughs> Typically. Oh, is that, is that, is that wrong? I Start the company with your spouse, you probably don't want to start, yeah, you know, that's, that's uh, right. having relationships with your employees. So that, you know, ended up kind of not working out so well um, and kind of left the few of us kind of up a creek without a paddle, you know? We yeah. said, you know, we've entered, we've, we love the cannabis industry. We've dedicated so much time and energy into this. We've embraced the culture. We have such great relationships. And I looked at it and I said, you know, we, let's do, let's do this again, but let's do yeah. something different. Right. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what we looked at is like the marketplace model, this Amazon herd mentality that everyone's going through this platform revolution, mm-hmm. there's value in it. Right. Yeah. But in the cannabis industry specifically, I really felt like the brand, the individual seller was getting neglected. So marketplaces are great. It's a great place to connect with a new buyer or seller. But ultimately when I have a new client or I've invested my time, energy sales to bring on a new dispensary client or a wholesale buyer. I don't really want to send them to a marketplace to see all my competitors, products, price shot me, beat me up, whatever, or ultimately maybe just like buy somebody else's product because it's cheaper and it has a higher potency, right? Variable skewed kind of products that are typically shot by potency and price. Right. And quality doesn't necessarily get conveyed on a marketplace. So we said, you know, let's create an e-commerce platform connecting buyers and sellers but let's be the first direct platform. Let's bring the power back to the brands and the producers. Let's give them the tools they need to efficiently and effectively run their business. When it comes to selling their product, let's then let, let's give them the tools they need to connect to a buyer, their retailers, in a more direct manner where those retailers only see their products, their interface, connect with their sales teams in a more meaningful way. So that was the model. That was the vision. And we launched MVP in Colorado in 2018. Just wanted to start in the most competitive market tech-wise. It's been along, around the longest. So if we can prove it out here, we can prove it out anywhere else. And now we're in states all the way from Maine to Alaska, uh, scaling rapidly and, and, and doing really well as, as, a, as a group. And of course, now we have our hemp platform too, which is a, a whole whole other world. You know, it's a it's a can. It's still the cannabis plant, but oh boy, that's a different supply chain for sure. Is that is that bushel 44? Yeah, that's bushel 44. Yeah. Um, 
essentially the same fundamental tools, but scoped specifically for the hemp and seed, you know, that can, the other cannabinoid uh, market. So, so explain uh, to me, like being, you know, Bob from Iowa, who really doesn't understand uh, a lot of the things that you're talking about, uh, to simplify it in a way, is it more like, maybe I'm not, I'm not Bob from Iowa, so I'm trying to overcomplicate it. Is it more like an ERP type of system for the cannabis industry? Or is that, is that kind of what you're describing? Yeah. You know, I think that ERP gets thrown around very loosely in cannabis. A lot of companies, software companies specifically in the space that call themselves ERPs don't really essentially know what a true ERP is. What is ERP so, stand well, I used for? to work what is for ERP Waterhouse and I used to do uh, SAP implementation. So I think that is uh, my understanding of an ERP system. Right. What does an ERP stand for? What is ERP? Yeah, enterprise resource planning, right? Yeah. Yes, enterprise resource planning. So it's it's a way to be able to streamline your business operations, I guess. Okay. And a lot of what we're focused on is like when a product is packaged and ready for sale, right? Mm-hmm. How do we create efficiency and give a business all so, the tools they need? Uh, for- I'm gonna interrupt. I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. So when the when you say the product is it is it from the grower? Like somebody grew uh, some cannabis. Is that you're engaging with the cultivator or you're engaging with the brand who's also the the cultivator partner in there first, correct? So it's the whole wholesale pl- supply chain, right? So Got cultivators it. who might be selling seeds or clones to other cultivators, right? Right. Cultivators who are bringing market and they're selling bulk trim to process you know, processors, extractors, product manufacturers. So we essentially touch every single part of the transaction from the point of product is sold at wholesale, whatever that raw material to package good, all the way down to retail. But we stop at retail. And we don't go back before the product is like produced or harvested, right? So we don't do like track and we don't do like seed to sale. You don't do track and trace, like metric. We're integrated with metric, but we don't like go back before. We start at when that product is ready to go to market, essentially. Got it. And then what about what about actually like the process materials? So if you're working with a process that's extracting oil, is that is this still part of your supply chain? Absolutely. Or still, okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we do? We focus on kind of two core elements of the business, right? One is the internal operation. So that's like inventory management, order hmm. management, buyer manager, just like CRM, marketing, deal hmm. flows, task management document organization and reporting, right? All of these backend things with integrations to accounting systems and metric, et cetera. And really focusing on like, how do we create better connection internally for a team to be able to create more efficiency, right? When you think about 280E, so much of the bottom line, if we can reduce labor, then we reduce the tax burden and we increase profits, right? So one of the things is really stressing the efficiency, right? The idea of saving time, time, which saves money, right? And ultimately shift that in other areas. And then on the sales side, it's just like, Let's do the direct connection, right? Let's do something different than a marketplace. Let's offer an alternative. And that's really our model is we feel like in each state, they're all intrastate commerce. So you, there's not really room for multiple big marketplaces, right? Buyers don't really want that. So what we found was like, okay, if we're going to go into a state and compete with these, you know, say a LeafLink, for instance, we yeah. have to offer something different. We have to be different. Um, and that's what we've done, right? And it's proved to be very successful in a lot of the markets that we've been able to focus on and enter. So you you said interstate commerce. You mean within the actual state or you go through? Yeah, within the actual state, right? So each state is its own, you know, centralized software, essentially, mm. where they can only see each other. Right. Um, and we just felt like, you know, if you're in a state where there's 40 producers and, you know, 20 retailers, there's probably not room for two marketplaces, right? There's just yeah. like... But there's probably half of those producers who go, 
I don't really want to be. I'm a craft producer. Like I have a premium price point. I have terpenes through the roof. I don't want to just get graded on THC, right? I'm organic grown. And they're like, we want to, we want something different. We need a little bit different tool. And that's where we kind of come in and provide that alternative. Got it. So you measure quality as well, all the different, what about integration with uh, testing and everything else? Yeah. So with metric, we can fetch lab testing. Um, and then, you know, looking through some other ways to, you know, make, make testing more accessible, even downstream to the consumer, right. Creating greater transparency to a consumer about what's being produced, what they're ingesting, et cetera. Um, you know, we're obviously B2B, but we always have to think about the consumer in ways that we can drive more demand for our brand's products, um, at the consumer retail level. So we're taking, you know, several steps in that direction as well. Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely offer a DNA test to everybody. So that way, when the consumer gets it, they'll know which one of your uh, products or which products align with John's uh, smile and John, John Small. Because, no, because no, I'm, I because like I'm it. pushing my, right. own, my own company. We're doing a deal right now, John. This is how deals sm- get done. Yeah, no, this is fun. This is this is sort of how it happens. This is I'm watching it kind of like right. it's like the 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 curtain is being no, pulled I was just, back. I was just thinking it, it just made sense. If you if you can if you can have your you know, endo aligned score with the different uh, products, then when consumers or even brands, first of all, you'll know what's uh, more personalized for the individual, but also for the cultivators. Because when I have my cultivation company, one of the things that we always struggle with, what the hell should we grow? Like what, what's good? What should we grow? So I was like, oh man, I love the old school stuff. Uh, let's grow some Northern Lights and some kosher kush and all this stuff. Nobody wanted it. They wanted OG. It was like an OG market all the time. So you grow OGs, you're going to be good. But I'm like, but you guys don't understand. This is craft count. Nobody gave a shit. So this is the whole thing. If you can go back to the cultivators and you can tell them, instead of growing 40 different uh, strains or, or chemovars, focus on five because five are most efficacious and uh, they're more aligned with what individuals want because they have the most robust terpene profiles uh, and cannabinoid uh, ratios. So those are the that's the information would I think the cultivators would want to know. Or so much of it's a name game, right? It's it's frustrating I think too for a cultivator because like yeah, how much time do I have to spend on Instagram to know what's trending, right? And then I got to go source the damn genetic. Then I got to cultivate the fucking thing, right? Which yeah. takes a lot of time, right? Some R&D, tweaking, refining, getting your mother, all of that. So it's like you have a long cycle to bring to market the product. Yep. And then by the time you bring it to market, it's not trending anymore, right? What do you mean? Gorilla glue number four. Oh no, Gorilla glue was so hot. What happened? It took me, you know, eight weeks to grow this shit if I'm lucky and, uh, or, or 10 and uh, nobody wants it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and it's funny, it's kind of cyclical too. So like in Colorado- we had seen where there's this big push for exotics, right? And this is like yeah. 2016-ish, 2017, big push, right? Everyone yeah. wanted the exotics. And then it came back like six months later, people kept asking, can I find a Durban poison? Does anyone have Durban poison or Jack or any of the, you know, whatever these staple strains? I have are. some. I got some like, from South Africa when I was there. So. Like nobody has it, you know? <laughs> so then it's kind of weird that it is this kind of evolve, ever-evolving kind of cyclical thing with strains. And it's like, you know, I think it's like, California obviously is where things get hot and they trend. And then it takes a few months for Oregon or other states to catch up. And by the time it gets to the Midwest, like that's not even the hot thing anymore. I was like, oh, that was last year. You yeah, know? That's why we got to get, get rid of the name. Like the name stuff got to go. We got to have some other 
form of way to communicate with, to people to understand this is your cannabinoid profile, this is your terpene profile, this is the expected uh, you know, outcome that you will probably have uh, based on your genetic predispositions, and that's it. These names, and I always, I've been talking about for so long, but they just don't mean anything. There's no association with anything because we don't have those land races anymore. It's all crossbred, 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 and it doesn't even... Well, there's, there's lots of examples where, hey, you know, if we put, put this strain up on the shelf and it doesn't sell, we'll just go back and relabel it and then it flies <laughs> off the shelf. Right? That never so, happens. John, that know, never, never happens. happens. That right? never happens. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> we, you know, I think our thing is we aggregate up to 60 data points in every product if someone wants to produce it, right? So you can list all the cannabinoids, all the terpenes, grow environment, grow media, right. trimming method, drying method, curing method, right? Ingredients. We really try and get granular, not only so that the producer who really cares about that has the opportunity to convey it to a buyer, right? But part of that then is hoping to change a little bit of the behavior of the consumer level. So if the dispensary buys into saying, man, cannabinoids and terpenes are really important, then they're going to start expanding their menu and putting some of that details in the menu, right? Then the consumer goes, whoa, I love that jelly bean, but the reason I love it is because the limonene or this or that or whatever these terpenes are. And then they're thinking, well, I'm fine buying a 16.5% THC because it's got four, you know, three to 4% terpenes. And it's going to get me just as high as something that's 28%, right? So it's shifting a little bit of the paradigm. Yeah. But so much of that comes down to consumer education. And we can even think about like, what's CBD? What's CBG now? What's CBN, right? So there's all of these new terms about the endocannabinoid system and consumers are like, how do I catch up to this, right? Yeah. Terpenes, what are terpenes, you know? And it's just yeah. like, yeah, terpenes exist in, you know, throughout all agricultural all products, right? Yes. You're like, they're there. Like when you taste something, that's it. You, yeah. know, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's exactly what, you know, I've been preaching forever. It's it's about all the components of this plant and terpenes and not about the names and, and that the amount, I, I tell this story, like when we had a cultivation facility, the number one wholesale, uh, uh, chemovar that we grew was uh, this gorilla glue, and we would it would everybody loved it, and because it would, we stressed it properly, we cured it properly, and testing wasn't required back then. But when we actually tested it, people were coming back like, "How much THC is in there? It's great." I'm like, 16? No, come on, man. We have shit that's 25, 20. No way. I'm like, yeah, it's 16. No way. And they didn't believe it. And you just hit, said the reason why is because you have a fully expressed plant the way it's supposed to be uh, consumed. So that's that's the right It becomes that numbers game, right? So that when the retailers are going, I have to purchase over 20%, I'll never purchase anything under 20%, right? Yep. Then it just shapes this whole thing of like, now cultivators are going, well, I'm only going to grow the staples that I know are heavy, you know, heavy testers, right? Or right. I'm going to go find the lab that gives me the extra couple points I need on that percent yep. to get, get it up, right? Um, that doesn't happen either. Can yeah, I, right. Never, you know, anywhere. So I think it's, <laughs> and I think it's disappointing. It almost does a disservice to the consumer in a way too, because we're so caught up in this numbers piece that yeah. then it comes to lack of education around, you know, hey, there's these other other cannabinoids in a product or these terpenes or, you know, for me personally, like something that's grown organically versus something that's grown with salts has a dramatic impact on how I feel after I consume it. And I can yeah. tell, like, I, right. I wouldn't even have to know but I could smoke the two, two of the same strains grown different ways. I go, that one's with salts because I can feel it, right? Yeah. My body, I can tell the difference. Um, 100%. And that's important, right? I think that's something that gets lost a lot of the time in the market. Yeah. And the one last thing I want to say about this is <clears throat> the the governments themselves, because of, of their lack of education, they are, they are proponents of this. Like take Canada, for instance. So Canada doesn't allow any branding or real marketing. So you have no differentiation. The only differentiation you have is the percentage of THC. 
So it's like the same market as California and Oregon and Colorado was 10, 15, 15 years ago. Like, oh my God, how can I get 30% THC because I'm going to sell more? That's what's going on in Canada because they're not educated at the highest level. The people are making the legislation around that. So, yeah. What's Bushel 44? So it's a hemp specific platform. So it's, you know, it's, it still has a lot of the same, it has all the same feature sets. It's essentially built on the same development stack. So everything we build for one launches for the other, but inventory is specifically designed for CBD products. So just think of like biomass uh, with the state of the material, right? So you're not really, that's not something you would ever categorize in cannabis, but in hemp, it's very important, right? So we really focus on just curtailing specific inventory to work for that. And then of course with Bushel, there's opportunities more for like normalized payment processing, typical type of transactions, even though you have a federally legal uh, crop now that you still can't really get good affordable fair banking or insurance yes. or anything for anyway. So let's, you know, that's a, that's probably another podcast episode, but um, yeah, it's just, it's our hemp platform, you know, Got so it. we have clients. Uh, we actually just signed our first client up in Peru this week. So, you know, we've even started to touch the international waters and, figuring out how to get deals done across uh, across continents, which is a lot of fun because it's not something we'll ever probably, won't get to do for a while in cannabis today, you know? For sure. You think you'll ever have one for psychedelics? Probably one day. I mean, you've got, you know, Portland's got theirs. Colorado has theirs now, right? I think we're going to start seeing more uh, in that in that realm for sure. Um, yeah. There's Think about consumer education. There's a lot of education to do on, on psychedelics as well, but... I think it's getting there. You know, I think there's a lot of people who are finding the idea of medicinal benefits, cannabis. And now there's others, of course, you know, think of veterans with PTSD or anyone, right. With suffering about the effects that, um, you know, ayahuasca or whatever they've you know decided to use, um, has really impacted them beneficially. So I think the more great news there is, the more, you know, great stories are that people read and get into main press, the stigma tends to kind of start to slip away a little bit more. But think how long, look how long it's taken for cannabis and we still have a long ways to go. I think it's going to be accelerated yeah. much quicker in a psychedelic space. And the reason why is because cannabis showed them the way. They removed a lot of the restrictions on the psychedelics uh, and they're doing clinical trials. We've never done human clinical trials on cannabis, uh, you know, because for many reasons why we weren't. But you have a phase three MAPS supported trial on MDMA. Think about it. You know, 15 years ago, we were in the clubs dancing uh, at raves or, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, for me, it's more like <laughs> 25, 30 years ago. All right, whatever. Uh, many years ago. 40, 40, 40 <laughs> yes, years ago. Exactly. It's yeah. that. And, and now what do you mean? <laughs> it's ecstasy and you're, you're treating PTSD and you actually are in phase three of clinical trials. So it's, it, it's accelerated. There is no clinical trials on humans with, uh, with cannabis per se in that same accelerated rate. So now that we're seeing that, and ketamine, ketamine is 100%, it's legal. So, and you're getting ketamine treatments uh, everywhere, and that's becoming a big trend. So I think the stigma associated with those things uh, is not the same as, you know, Nancy Reagan with your brain on drugs kind of thing they were trying to push down our throats. All right. So, John, you're ready for for the tough questions. Hit me with three questions plus the bonus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You get a bonus. You gave it away. Right. You gave it away. I was going to leave the bonus as a, as a kicker at the end. All right. There's a bonus. There's a Sorry. Bonus. Spoiler alert. There's going to be a bonus. <laughs> okay. So this one is going to be, this is a softball, but it gets much harder. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Great. Um, I was, <laughs> gosh, my sister, I, you know, I, okay, I'll, I'll just go. Okay. So I was, uh, I got to think about how to, how to phrase this one. So yeah, I was at a, I was at a party. Statue of I'm a young partier in my day. So, you know, I got introduced to partying at a, at a young age. I think I was about 15 years old. I was at my sister's boyfriend's cabin on the lake in Branson, Missouri. Uh, we were playing, uh, Power Hour, where you take a shot of beer every minute when a song changes, right? Um, it's 15 years old, right? So fairly inebriated after this hour. <clears throat> Wait, I'm going to I'm gonna pause you for a second. Explain this game again, because I never played uh, this. It's a Power Hour, so you put on a playlist, and every minute, a new song comes up. So every minute, you have to take a shot of beer. Well, it turns out being like four and a half beers in an hour, right? So it'd be a decent wow. amount, right? Something yeah. like that. So hit it hard as a youngster. Um and at the time, I was a big, I was a big athlete and pretty against cannabis. I was kind of scared of it, right? So uh, uh, a sibling of mine comes up and she goes, "Hit this fucking pipe!" I'm like, "What? <laughs> I'm like, what? No, no, no! It's no. crack. Hit it! It's crack!" And she and then there's all the here's her boyfriend, all these older guys circling, and like the pressure was on, you know, the pressure was on. Uh, of course, I hit it, you know. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, probably spun out and went to bed with it right afterwards. Uh, and then, you know, I've probably been a, a, a very frequent cannabis consumer ever since. Um, yeah. It was so it was a good fell experience. Fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. Fell in love with it. Yeah. So started trying to do my own little growing there uh, at home when I, when I was about 16 and uh, been passionate about it ever since. And maybe that's why I'm here. You know? There you go. Okay. So cool. what was, um, so l- let me see if I can phrase this question so we can, John and I are both big music guys and you were talking about music and songs. So is there a go-to kind of uh, uh, album or, or a song, something that you really like to listen to, whether you're consuming or not, but this is sort of your go-to uh, kind of uh, music? Yeah, go-to. There's probably probably have two different ones, right? Okay. And so mm-hmm. if I'm more on like an uppity, you know, I'd like, I love slightly stupid when I'm thinking about smoking, you know, it's, it's great. Um, and then I'm a big classic rock guy. So I'll always go back to the dead, you know? So yeah. big dead, even like the dead and co now, you know, I'll still yeah. like, you know, just jamming out, listen to that. Those are probably kind of, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm in the smoking mood. It's probably one of those two typically. Right. All right. So a controversial question. And by the way, I had a major, I was at a dead and co show with a bunch. I'm not a deadhead, even though I've been to a bunch of shows. I, appreciate it, but it's really never connected with me. I like the whole social aspect of it too. Uh, so who's a better guitar player, Jerry Garcia or John Mayer? Oh my God. <laughs> I, how do I, you know, you're going to offend people either way, right? Right. Exactly. That's you can't the point. Win. <laughs> um, but you know what? Everything John Mayer's doing, Dan Kolabit follows in footsteps of Jerry Garcia, right? There's some foundation. So you have to go with Jerry, right? I mean, you have to kind of lay that out to say, you know, he's the original. Yeah, John Mayer's got his skills. Here's this, he's got his thing. But if you still go back and you think of like Mayer in the early 2000s, you can't call him a better guitarist than, than Garcia, right? On that yeah. sense, he's evolved. But uh, yeah, yeah, Garcia. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. I, I, I got into a whole argument with them that technically, I believe that John is a better technical player. However, if you embody the dead, it's Jerry. I mean, like, there's no, there's no question about it. So, who's a better drummer, Steve Pert or John Bonham? That's the Neil question. Pert, classic Neil. rock. 
Neil Peart. <laughs> I don't know. We can we can think about that. Really, <laughs> who's a better drummer? Neil Peart. Uh, yeah. Neil Peart or or Bono? Well, it depends. Uh, so. Don't forget, Neil also. Neil, I'm shocked that you said Neil Peart because you are a it's huge not Neil. Led it's, Zeppelin fan. To me, it's Bonzo because Neil is is a great jazz drummer, but he also sings, right? So as a musician, all the way around, Neil is a is a huge contributor. Bonzo cannot be replicated. Like there are technical players that can play how Neil plays uh, with jazz, uh, you know, mm-hmm. time in mind. The power of the drums that lead Zeppelin, that's Bonzo. That's why he can't be rec- replicated. They can't do this together, in my opinion. So, I love Zeppelin. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, you know, when you throw it up, it's like favorite rock band, Zeppelin. I mean, I, I love, and I yeah, love yeah. classic rock, don't get me wrong. But when you think about the evolution of that band, all the different albums, each one's a little bit different. It has these, it just, uh, it embodies, you know, rock and roll and it embodies the evolution of a band that just, it's amazing, you know. I just you just can't beat it. Right. You know, I can always sit back and turn on Zeppelin three and just be like, okay, it's awesome. Yeah, I like Zeppelin two better, but Zeppelin three is great too. All right, what what, what has cannabis meant in your life? Wow, um, what has it meant? You know, it's allowed me to create a family, you know, and I think about that as like, you know, I'm the CEO founder of this company and it's provided me a lot of great opportunities to learn and grow as a person, um, both, both professionally and personally. Um, but for me, it's like the ability to build a, a really great, great company. And, and, uh, you know, I look at it as like, you know, we have 18 employees now, but I look at it as like, really there's extension of that. There's like 40 or 50 of us because our families, right. So right. it's providing the opportunity to do something I really love. Uh, that I'm passionate about. I think there's, you know, you can't really overstate that being able to go to work and really enjoy what you do and be passionate about because this plant is something you genuinely care about and enjoy. Uh, I think can't be understated. I love it, you know? Um, and I like the sense of, you know, building this community, this group and being embraced both by the culture uh, and as well as embracing it. And then having this, this, this company and this, these, yeah. this group of family that, uh, that is amazing, you know, and there to support them and me. And it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been a great, great ride. Yeah. We're, yeah I, I love that. Yeah. It's great because I, I always say the same, like the, the sense of community in the cannabis industry is I, there's nothing like it. Anywhere you go in the world, you smoke a joint with somebody or whatever you, you have a relationship that you automatically build. Maybe not anymore through COVID because all, everybody's sucking on their own uh, vape and you don't have this sort of, uh, you know, communal kind of thing, but maybe we'll, we'll get past that. It all, it's all about the plan, right? It all comes back to that. I mean, that's what I think sometimes gets lost and ultimately it's where you see some companies fail and whatever it might be, or <clears throat> it's that, you know, if you don't have a, uh, you know, a care, really genuine care about the plant from the top to the bottom in this space, people are going to see right through you, especially in technology, if you're a bunch of suits, right? Yeah. But in that same sense, then I don't think that you genuinely care enough about the plant, meaning that your clients and what you do to them and the customer service you provide and the product that you, you produce. Right. And, right. and that's like our, one of our core guiding principles is plant first and, customer service and responsiveness, put our clients first, make them feel like the most important thing out there. Right. Um, and thrill them, you know, yep. and, and, uh, I think as long as we always stay true to that, then ultimately you'll be successful, you know, especially in this space. Well said. Okay. Bonus questions since John revealed there's a bonus question. Everybody knows, but please describe what your room looked like growing up. 
You know what? Uh, big sports guy, Kansas City Chiefs coming mm-hmm. from Missouri. So you would have Marcus Allen and Joe Montana all over my walls. Um, no, no Nigerian like, nightmare. No Christian Okoye. A little, okay. you know. I was, uh, you know, I guess. I Thomas. Thomas. I'm a little younger for Christian Okoye. Right, right, I right. guess you know. <laughs> Uh, Priest Holmes, maybe, you know, back in those yeah. days. But, um, yeah, you know, a lot of sports stuff. My brother and I shared a room. So, you know, it was probably trashed, most likely, with stuff <laughs> all over. Um, but yeah, it was all, all sports. Actually, you know, funny story. I, had a, I was at a fun, I went to go raise some money in Palo Alto with one of our fundraising rounds. And I walked in, I had, and here's Joe Montana standing in the hallway. Yeah. Whoa, I'm already nervous. Then I got Joe over here, you know, right. and he walks up, he's like, hey, I'm Joe. Good to meet you. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. Most humble guy, the nicest guy I've ever met. And I was like, I didn't tell him this. I didn't even get a selfie with him, kind of regretting it now. Yeah. But uh, he was like the most humble guy. You would have never even known that he was Joe Montana so cool. when you met him. I was like, God, you live up to it. You don't always get to meet an idol and have him yeah. live up to someone who was. Right. He was that's, so, so stinking nice, man. It was it was really cool. So Well, that's awesome to hear because I'm a huge Montana fan and he's in the cannabis business too. So I'm sure you'll get to see him again. At yeah. some point, and that, and then yeah. you can get a selfie next time. Next time, yeah. I think like it's just weird when you're like, "Hey, let me," you know. Like, oh. It's very weird. I, I don't. I never do that with people at all. But I know a lot of people. My, my daughter, <clears throat> she meets everybody, and she's always walking up. You mind if I take a whatever selfie or Instagram or Snap? That's a generational she, thing. Yeah, she's not shy about it at all. They love that stuff. Maybe it's a generational thing. You know, I'm kind of like right on yeah, that edge. Of that like, might be a oh, thing. So. for a cell phone. Right? Yeah, can I have your autograph? And I'm still kind of weird. I'm like, you know, my employee's like, you need to post more on Instagram. I don't even care. Yeah, <laughs> for like, sure. You know, for sure. Yeah. Oh, John, where can people find out more about you, about uh, Apex, Bush, all your stuff? Where can people find, find us on, you? you know, apextrading.com or bushel44.com. There's a lot of information about us. Um, you can hit me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, you can, you'll, you'll, if you will, if you want to find me, you'll find me, uh, through the regular routes, but yeah, visit the websites, great, great information about what we do, testimonials from clients. Um, and you know, if, uh, if you're inclined to try and hit me up, give me a shout. I'd be happy yeah. to converse. Well, thank you. I think this was great. And I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing because you hit the nail on the head. We have to use a, you know, a much more formal method when it comes to this. If we're going to get out of the dark ages, we have to move into what you guys are doing. That's the way to get out of, uh, you know, this whole thing. I just grew some weed. Here's a bag of weed. It's a it's a real business. It's a huge multi-billion dollar business. And we need the systems to, uh, to support that. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks Thank so you. much. You're here for it. I appreciate the All time, right. guys. That's great. It, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Peace. I love the bong hits, man. It's the best. <clears throat> he knew he knew how to he knew how to get off right yeah. away. He's experienced. You know? I know. Like he's, he's off. Experienced. He's just that wasn't even that like an awkward transition. He's just off. He's an experienced zoomer. So he is that guy. That is a, you brought, a professional. It's I don't, I don't want to like it already took uh, a long a long time, but I, I so I know his CMO, and we're we've gone to like a million shows together. So Rob is the one that connected us and he's a big music guy. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of music people in there, but it right. could have been like a two hour interview. That's cool. You could have, yeah, you could have gone. He's into classic rock. He's a classic rock kind of Branson, Missouri. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Missouri. Of course. Pretty good. I think his memoir should be called Hit This Shit. <laughs> right? Was that what his sister said? Hit this shit. <laughs> Hit this shit. Hit this pipe. Crack. That's awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you brought you brought up something um, really interesting during that is the whole edible thing. So I don't know if you saw this. Oh, right. But a Pensacola mom calls for action after daughter accidentally eats marijuana edibles. It's similar looking mm. to Hawaiian punch gummies. But this is the funny thing. Uh, no, maybe it's not funny, but it was funny to me. So I'll just say it's funny to me. So this whole story is uh, Pensacola, Florida. This mom, and uh, if you see, if you Google it, you'll see a picture of her. She does have, uh, you know, purple and different color hair. So Pensacola mom calls yeah. for action after daughter accidentally eats uh, marijuana edible. So it says uh, Pensacola, uh, the call for action. She's really up in arms. Uh, she was visiting, uh, her daughter was visiting her friend. Her daughter was six. Uh, the the daughter's mod, they were swimming and she wanted to change her wet clothes and somewhere in the hamper or somewhere, she had these uh, Hawaiian punch gummies that looked like Hawaiian punch. Uh, and she went to pick them up and the daughter was asleep and she slept for a long time. She said she was concerned that she says that the gummy had 50 milligrams of THC. Uh, and uh, she said she took, uh, she'll take 25 milligrams. She took 25 milligrams of that. And she was really, really concerned. And she took her to the hospital, the poison control center. And that was it. Mm. There's no, nothing happened. Yeah. She just slept and woke up. Nothing. And the, the, right. so the Pensacola, uh, the Florida Poison Control Center says they're seeing a spike in children consuming marijuana edibles. Really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. That you should keep your cannabis away from kids like anything else that you do. So in 2020, uh, they treated 130 kids uh, age yeah. 12 and under. Halfway through 21, the agency has already seen 119. So they started allowing mm. edibles. So they're going to use this to control the milligrams of edibles and whether they can, uh, you know, do anything about this or not. So it says, every, it was very plain, says Michelle Beasley, a physician with the medical um, marijuana treatment clinics of Florida. None of the products themselves uh, can have artificial colors of flavors. Uh, they're natural. They don't, ha- they don't want them to attract, uh, to be attractive. Bright colors attract children. Right. So they're going to try to limit the type of, uh, Packaging they're going to create for these kids. They also sent. Uh, they also aren't allowed to look like an existing product, so they can't look like uh, a you know an edible right. like a Skittles, who's uh, now has a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Yeah. They're not going to regulate something that's illegal. So they're trying to first get federal legalization. And then regulate. In the meantime, McCoy says that it's a learning lesson for the parent, and she hopes other parents will teach their kids about these edibles. So there's a couple of things on here. Number one, I don't understand why these brands make a Hawaiian punch gummies anyway. It makes no logical sense. I mean, I get it, but they're going to get sued. It actually says, you know, Hawaiian punch. Oh, it says it Hawaiian says- punch. Now, is this a legit, it's not a, is it an illicit market? I mean, I know that. So there's a big article in the New York yeah. Times that just came out last week that a lot of people read and was being forwarded around, which was all about, and we've written about this yeah. a Green Entrepreneur. You know, you mentioned the Skittles lawsuit. There's a lot of, in the sort of gray illicit market, there's a lot of brands that, a lot of, um, they would copycat. They just look exactly like yeah. candy, right? Like Skittles. And and yes, of course, those should be completely illegal, but they are illegal. They're Thank in the you. black market. So. But that's the point. I that, think that's the, the whole point. That, yeah, that's, that's the, the point, right? Yeah. And this is the same thing with Vapegate. The illicit market keeps Thank screwing you. the fucking cannabis market, which is why 
there should be, that's why we need regulation, like more regulation. Um, and that's why we need to come after the illicit market in a more aggressive way, because it really is hurting the legitimate market. 100%. And, and it's a, it's a terrible situation. And I, it, but it's exactly what happened with Vapegate. Um, uh, and, um, it's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, first of all, the legitimate market, the legitimate market, the legal market is doing everything in their power to keep this stuff away from kids. I mean, have you ever tried to open these gummy packaging? It takes like 25 minutes to open it up because they're yeah, so childproof. I can for, barely. Yeah, for me it does, yeah. but not for a kid. <laughs> a kid opens in three seconds. <laughs> kids kids knows how to open it up, I guess. But anyway, the point is that they've, they've done, they've tried very hard on the packaging to make it very, very childproof. That's yeah. always a huge issue. Um, and I don't see the the mainstream um, cannabis companies packaging for kids. I mean, they have flavors that are fruity. That's that should be allowed. But to to package for kids, I mean, I would think I would imagine that booze and cigarettes are much worse perpetrators of you know creating labels that could be attractive. A hundred percent. Agree with you. hundred percent. So it's yeah. cannabis always gets gets um, treated in a very, like, it's uh, always like a double standard. Um, but it is something they have to deal with because I have heard these statistics and there's definitely a, a big uptick in kids eating cannabis. A part of this is on the parents, but um, clearly I think most of this is on the illicit market. Um, but if we can educate people to not freaking buy stuff from the illicit yeah, market. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing is don't buy, you know? if you see it says Hawaiian punch, it's most likely not legal. So, uh, yeah, no, 99% you know, of the time, 99% of the time, it's not legal. Why would you want to put that in your body anyway? Cause it's, it's not tested. So you're, you're taking a risk by putting something in your body that hasn't been tested. And you mentioned vape gate. That's the whole thing. And then the other part of it is, you know, regulation wise, you, you have to look at what the legal market is doing by taxing you 40%. These legal entities aren't able to be as profitable as other businesses. You're not allowing you to write off things as a regular business. You're you're taxing out the ass. You can't. You don't have the same write-offs, and so you're actually uh, perpetuating a illicit market as well. Uh, so once again, on you got to go back to federal regulations, decriminalize it, change right. it, just have was- oversight because they're the ones that are creating this whole market in the first place. Nobody wants oversight more than the actual legal 100%. cannabis industry. Yep. Right. And and it also shows you what happens when you make it illegal. In you know, well, Florida is not a, a recreational legal state yet. Um, look what happens. It it creates a bigger illicit green black market. Yep. And then people start ending up having to buy this crappy stuff from the black market that's dangerous yep. for kids. So it's like it can be spun, I guess, in both ways. Like, but it, pot is here to stay. I ain't going nowhere. So um to put restrictions on marijuana when it's not even legal in your state is a little bit insane. Um, the whole point is if you legalize it, if you legalize it on a national level, then we can have federal regulations on all of this stuff and it's like not so yeah. confusing. But anyway, don't get me going on this. It's just, <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's, it's so stupid. stupid. And, and I don't understand why this administration yeah. just talks and hasn't really done anything. I think they're waiting for Bezos to come in and just say, you know what? I'm going to give you X amount of billions of dollars. Don't worry about it. I'll control it. Just pull the switch and Amazon will deliver to your home uh, just the way they do with Whole Foods uh, through a drone, your personalized cannabis. They'll take an endo-DNA test on Amazon and they'll deliver it right to your home. And that's the that's the future of cannabis. And by the way, and uh, the news, it's interesting you mentioned Amazon because they just announced 
um, that they are not going to be drug yep. testing their um, employees for, for marijuana. And they're in favor of- uh, Yep, they're supporting the bill. That's why I brought them up um, too. They're yep. supporting the bill. Right, exactly. So big ups yeah. to Amazon. I mean, Amazon, well, you know, once Amazon starts distributing cannabis, which it won't yeah. until it's legal uh, federally, um, boy, that's going to be that's going to be a big hit yeah. for a well, for a lot of companies. Big ups to Amazon, but but Amazon always has a business uh, interest course. in this. So think about it this way: right now, Amazon. First of all, CBD could have been bought on Amazon for for a while. Then Amazon changed their policy: you cannot sell CBD. Uh, we we could sell our kits there, but now we can't. CBD products, you can't, it only has to be hemp products. So everybody went and changed their labels to say hemp instead of CBD. Right. However, now they want everybody to disclose their C of A's, their certificates of analysis or test results. So if that's the Mm. case, your test result is going to say CBD, most likely. eh? Mm -hmm. And if it's going to say CBD, now you're violating the policy. So are they cleansing the CBD from Amazon? So Amazon may have their own CBD and they get rid of the competition and just sell their own CBD. That's kind of the MO. That's what Amazon's been doing for years, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm very the skeptical. Create, right, the creative. So they can only, they can be the only guy in town selling CBD. Yeah, I hope, I hope you're wrong about that. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. They have not been always the most honest yeah. players, but it, it's so hard to avoid Amazon in our lives right now. Um, I try, you know, I, I'm an Amazon prime user. I just yep. went to whole foods yesterday. I'm like, man, Amazon is a big part of my oh, yeah. life. You know, I try to order from other things. Honestly, I just ordered from another service and it was such a pain in the ass. I was kind of like, fuck, maybe I should just order. From Amazon. <laughs> Every time um, I do that, you know, and I, thing. I hate it. It's so frustrating. And that, you know, they're just good yep. at what they do. And, and it's, you know, um, wow. So, Okay. You want to talk about house house music? We don't talk nope. about house music that much on the nope. on the pod. Um, and I didn't. I kind of forgot that you were like this closet fan. Um, so I am down to play some I'm, of these songs. I'm out of the closet. Actually, I had you up? On so th- this is the reason why uh, you know I wanted to play this. First of all, it's Pride Month. Not that I'm saying you know house music and Pride go together, but. Well, dance music is very much the roots of dance and club music is very much rooted in the gay community right. from early go. days, you know, from the days in yes. the 70s um, in New York and in Detroit and, and Chicago and stuff. So I think you're it, you're welcome to, you know, big ups. Thank you, yes. Pride, for making making this kind of music yes. happen. It's not that only people who are LBGQT, LB, <laughs> LGBTQT, um, uh Listen to house music, but they certainly were largely responsible for creating it or getting absolutely. And then, and then the other thing, what really drove me too is that for uh, for Frankie Knuckles and Pride, so NME Magazine, that's the the dance music uh, magazine, they did their top twenty best house music songs of all time, and I started going through that list. Wow, and I had a lot of disagreements, and I was like, "Mm, Wow, yeah, I know it's very controversial. (laughs) <laughs> no, it is. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think this kind of music is controversial because it depends where you grew up a lot of times. Like people from like Detroit don't always like stuff from Chicago. And then the people in New York don't like 
You know, am I right about that? I, I mean, I always liked Chicago House and Detroit definitely, uh, you know, started a lot of that stuff and a lot of the tech house stuff. But, uh, you know, my my personal favorites are like the more the vocal, the soul, soulful house stuff. But there are classics and, and this list does have a lot of the classics, which I think are on my list too. But then a lot of them were just like. Did you want me to play some uh, of Your call. You you can play some of these if you want. I mean, do you want to talk? We can talk. We can talk about them. And then well, I'll uh, give we I'll give their list first, and if you want to play okay. any, you can. But uh, I don't think there's a an order. They're just listing them. There's no you know one two to twenty. So I'll just uh, uh, this the, so model model five hundred no UFOs. I listened to that song. I don't even remember that song that well. I didn't even know it was a big hit, but maybe I'm wrong. It was a Chicago club uh, track. Uh, the big song here is Stardust. Music sounds better with you. That was that was a hit. Yeah. And I actually I think that got some uh, some commercial play on pop radio for a while. Uh, yeah, I mean I know that song, and I'm not even that like up on the on the. Stuff. I think there was a I think there was um, a time but- when like Daft Punk came out where that all those French uh, DJs yeah. came out. It was Stardust, and there was um. Yeah, exactly. It was the Daft Punk stuff. That song "Lady" yeah, by Mojo. Exactly. Um, music sounds better with you. And yeah. then they, for sure, it was all that French. Yeah, I me love too. That stuff. Love that stuff. Uh, James Great. Silk music yeah. is the key. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's so basic, like Jackmaster Funk. Uh, you know, uh, Farley, and yeah, it's just didn't connect with me. It's way too basic. Uh, 808 State, Pacific State, great tune. I think it also crossed over a little bit, but uh, you know, I wouldn't put it in my top 20. Great song, though. Uh, Chip E, Time to Jack. There's a better Jack song that's on my list that I think. Mm-hmm. I like I like the Jack songs. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, because it's just funny. There's a lot of exactly. Jack. I, I like I like the Jack. I like the Jack too. I like- <laughs> Anyway. Uh, a guy called Gerald. I don't know what the word Jack. Makes a guy called right. Gerald Voodoo Ray, nineteen eighty-eight, classic, classic, Frankie Knuckles, classic, classic song, amazing. I love that song. Robin S, show me love. I can't stand that song. Is that a? Is that no, a house? That's song? my that's point. Like a nineties dance. Stand, song. I couldn't stand that You've song. Got to show me it's love. It's so cheesy and, and yeah. sorry to anybody that's big fans. Dang, dang, it was so dang, cheesy. Dang, dang. And uh, there were some good remixes. And same thing with like Crystal Waters, Gypsy Woman. They play it all the time, everywhere. I just found it to be pop music. It's not real house music to me. Uh, Deep Inside, Barbara Tucker stuff. All the Strictly Rhythm stuff I used to love a lot. Uh, French Kiss, uh, Little Louis. Absolutely, man. Classic. French Kiss, amazing. Inner City, Good Life. Um, This is one that I would say crossed over a little bit, but... I do love that song a lot. Yeah. I like that song. Uh, Cashmere. Uh, this is the song that we played last week. Remember, I say it's time for the percolator. It's time for the the, the one that sample yep. they use. Oh, that's percolator. Funny. This is it. So this is the actual original uh, Cashmere song. I didn't know it was ca- called Coffee Pot. I thought it was called It's Time for the Percolator, but it's called Coffee Pot. CC Rogers someday another cheesy pop song. Uh, Future Acid Tracks. Uh, yeah, there's a better acid and Adonis No Way Back, better Ad- Adonis track. Farley Jackmaster and Jesse Saunders, which is uh, uh, which is Love Can't Turn Around. Great song, a little bit old, but not on my list, but great song. And of course, 
Move Your Body by Marshall Jefferson, which is the house music anthem. Move Your Body. Yeah. I, that's like a famous one. Yeah, there can be feel one. it. There's a few that aren't on here. Like, where's... Well, yes. Should we look at your yes. list? Where's you used to hold yes. me? You yes. used to touch yes. me. You used to... That's like such a classic house. Oh, it was like the, probably the yeah. first house song I ever heard. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't know. Where's that one? Where's yeah. Big Fun? Do, 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 do. Yeah. Do you know that song, Big Fun? I think that was out of Detroit. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. This is a very the song, hard list. The song that you were, even were just is. mouthing, I think it's the inner city song, Good Life. That's, oh, that's good. I thought it was called Big Fun. Well, maybe, maybe okay, I'm wrong. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Okay, so maybe they maybe they had, I know it's yeah. inner city, but I think uh, Good Life okay. was a different one. But let, let's listen. Let's, let's listen to it. No. Oh, help. How do I stop it? <laughs> I don't know how to stop it. Yeah. Could you hear that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So you want to do, um, you want to go through my list? Uh, let's go through your list. We can play, yeah, play some, some of the of them. songs if so, we want. So first of all, let's, because we mentioned it, let's play the Marshall Jefferson Move Your Body so everybody knows what we're talking about as, as far as a house music anthem. Okay. Move Your Body, Marshall yes. Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly, it still holds up to this day. Uh, it is the house music anthem because there is a, uh, you know, a talk. Ah. But it still holds up. Like people play That's, it now with different remixes. So I, I love that song. Uh, great song. And absolutely one of the best. Uh, there's also, let me see what other one. Here's one. What are some of the so definitive, the one, definitive? Yeah, so the one, one that you just were talking about, uh, Ralphie Rosario, You Used to Hold Me. Okay. Right. That's famous a famous one, one, right? The Masters at Work remix, which is... <sighs> All right, let me listen to that one. Um, Masters at Work, hopefully Ralph we can Ralphie Rosario, this. you used Sometimes to hold me. Well, I'm going to yeah, fast yeah. forward a little bit, too. Oh, we want to hear the Masters at Work version, too. Is this the one?
playing. Now, yeah. oh, it is. Um, sorry, that wasn't that wasn't the Masters of Work remix, but it was uh, it was close enough. Oh, it wasn't the Masters no. of Work remix. That was but Sam was at a good one. That's actually not as good uh, as good as the, as others I've heard. But sorry, but anyway, that was a good. It was that's a very classic. Now, what defines house as opposed to like when when club music kind of changed and then uh, you know became EDM yeah. or whatever? I always think of house. First of all, it's from a yeah. certain era. It has to sort of be from like the late 80s, early 90s, kind of uh, Chicago, Detroit. Chicago, scene, New York. Yeah, right? Chicago, New York, New York uh, too. Detroit. But but I, here, my, my thoughts on it. There's a certain uh, BPM to house, mm-hmm. to house music. Oh, yeah. There, there's the piano that's usually at it. Yeah. It's soulful. So it's built on mm-hmm. what disco was. And it doesn't have this... Uh, like it doesn't have that that synth that synth sound usually mm-hmm. there's a soul to it now some of them cross over and there's then different genres of house there's acid house uh there's a uh, right. deep house uh, of more tracks You're talking about the pure house you know this is this is my personal list also it always has the um always has the symbol open hat symbol exactly Always four in the floor. So let's let's symbol. go over a couple um, more, and I'll read my list. But <clears throat> let's sure. try. Uh, how about Eddie Amador house music? Oh yeah, I mean when you name your the your, song uh, is called house music. <laughs> it must be yeah, house music. It better be good. Um, do you know why it's called house music? I think they were playing it in a house first. <laughs> um, hold on, let me uh and of course it was in my pocket. Now that that gotta have the symbol. House music. Is this the right version? It's fine. By the way, what it says, what it says. What it says, the exact yeah. origins of the name uh, of house music is unclear, but but the consensus oh. says that house music was named after the warehouse nightclub in Chicago's South Warehouse, Chicago's record store, would attract fans on emerging sound by labeling dance records as they played at the warehouse, which became shortened to house music instead of warehouse music. That's what I, yeah, that's what I did a podcast where I interviewed a history of DJ and he said that, but of course I completely <laughs> forgot that. But yes, the warehouse, right. that was it. Let me, let me see. All right. One of my favorites, and maybe this is a crossover track. How about Jungle Brothers? I'll house you. Oh, yeah. That's cool because the Jungle I know. Brothers did that. Freaking. Native Tongues song, mean, and it's house music. Cool. It's Native Tongues. It, it was so cool that they did that. I love them. Um, of course, I can't. I got to find that song. Jungle Brothers. Yep. I'll house I'll you. house right? you. <clears throat> Here we go. Now, when you're in my hut, 
you know what's up Let your mind be free, relax your body Jump, jump, a little higher high. jump, 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 until you get tired How's your body? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it Wasn't I love that, that good? song, I mean, man, damn. it's a great song And that has a little bit of the big it fun does. thing going on it does. in it Yeah, that's dope <clears throat> they were, they were, I, they're probably most known. Sometimes they're like, I know, most it's known so strange. Yeah. Really a rap. They're really like a hip hop group, but they just happen to do a house. All song. right. Let's play one more and then we'll, we'll rest. Uh, okay. One more. Is that spelled W O? <laughs> I don't know which one to play. Damn. Uh, it's so hard. Uh, What's another good one? What about, what about, what about the Bucketheads? I'm just maybe Peter Heller, Big Love. It's it's more classic house. The bomb, the Bucketheads, the yeah, bomb. They they did have the bomb. Yep, the bomb is. But that that yeah. one everybody knows, I think. All right. Yeah. What what other ones did the what other what else what one what, what Peter other Heller did do? Big Love. Oh oh yeah. Oh, people are so crazy. <laughs> um. When was the first time you heard Peter Heller? Uh, so I was in a club in Philadelphia called Revival. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Josh Wink played it. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is back in... What year was it released? I would say this is early 90s. Man, there it is. All right, we're going to play this. Um You know, can you listen to that music when you're just not dancing? Like, can you just have it on? Uh, usually, to, only like, if I'm driving. Like, not anymore. Every once in a while, there was some. There, there's a. I went through this phase of these uh, Brazilian uh, house uh, songs. So there's Afro mm-hmm. Medusa. There's Gajo. All right, you can play them for people. Uh, oh, Groove Gajo, Jet. Yeah. Groove I love Jet, Gajo. Uh, which is Spiller uh, with the coat. Yeah, Spiller. I, I mean that yep. that music. It's 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 like really good songs too. I think not just like dance songs, but yeah, yeah. you need to be dancing. By the way, that Pete Heller song was nineteen ninety nine, so I'm I'm off of my my wow. dates. Groove Jet, you've saying names things I haven't listened to like in fifteen years. Like I, I can remember like having them on my playlist and listening to them nonstop in my car, but also when I'm working out. Very non-stop, good workout. Yeah, and then you have like Little Louis, uh, Little Louis French Kiss. That's like uh, when that came out, everybody's like, oh my God, that song, what is he simulating sex? He's got sex sounds in there. You know what song? Yeah. You know what song? I don't know if it's House. Do you yeah. know Nightcrawlers? Yeah. Push, yeah. Push the house? feeling on. Maybe that's Nightcrawlers. Yeah. Oh, that's, it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's a, great, a good one. It's, I don't know what he's saying, but it's a great song, man. Yeah, I've been listening to that a lot lately. I don't know why. I've just been like into well, that song. I'll be happy to post uh, my list. Uh, I can, oh, I can do. go. Maybe we'll put in the notes of the podcast. But uh, uh, yeah, those are some of my some of my highlights. As I said, uh, some of the Brazilian stuff that I mentioned, uh, some of the Armand Van Helden stuff, which I love. You don't know me and the Bucketheads. Some of the Shapeshifter stuff. Paul Johnson had a great song called "Get Down, Get Get Down." Uh, there was a yep. Junior Jack with a bunch of different songs. Kings of Tomorrow, uh, which uh, were featuring India, and she was in a bunch of different songs. Like there's one called "Love and Happiness," that's a, a classic, amazing song. And uh, some uh, like we already played Ralphie Rosario, and obvi- apparently, you know, obviously Frankie Knuckles, and you gotta give him a shout out for the whistle song, classic. That's a good way to end it. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. I like that list. This is fun. It's fun to kind of kind of go out of our our hip hop right? classic right? rock um, safe That's zone kind of and go into some house. I don't know. Oops. As many of the um, uh, like I don't know their names. It's like one of those things. I never went so deep into house deep house cuts. <laughs> <laughs> that I would even know the names of the songs. I mean, I'd just be like, I love that song where the guy goes, let's <laughs> work. Yeah, you went into it. You're good. You you have to know. You have to well, know. Well, I'm gonna it's I'm not gonna fair. do I'm gonna do because, something special with this list too. I'm gonna send this out to a really good DJ friend of mine who is one a very well-known house music DJ. He goes by the moniker of Mike Maserati. Mike, if you're listening to this, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm gonna What's up, Mike? and I'm gonna pass this list by him. And see what he says and if he wants to add anything to the list. And then I'll right. post it on. And we will put this list in the description. I will uh, I will make sure that Tommy includes it in the description. And uh, Thank yeah, you. this is a great house house uh, introduction for those who are just looking to kind of span the history of house. Yeah, they don't play a lot of house music anymore. But I went to see the Frankie Knuckles Man. tribute uh, where the girl got stabbed to death. Uh, I don't know if oh, great. I, I told that story before, right? Uh, I don't know if you've told that story. Did she get stabbed with knuckles? <laughs> I should not be laughing. It's the worst. No, it's I, a I always, horrible story. I always laugh at the worst moments. I don't know. It's okay. You're nervous. It's a nervous Is laugh. It? I'm not nervous at all. Rest, rest in but power. Thank you. Rest in power to this. By the way, what shirt girl. are you wearing? I see some cacti. Oh, yeah. This is my, I just was up at Joshua Tree this weekend. Nice. So I decided to buy a Joshua Tree shirt. I love the color and I love my Joshua Tree. I love tree. Joshua Trees. And I smoked some Joshua Trees while I was nice. there too. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I have, a, I have a chili pepper shirt on. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. We got Joshua Tree and the chili pepper. That's it. All right. So, uh, oh yeah. So you want me to tell the story really quick? Sure. You want to end on a cheery note? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it's, it's a great story. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll do we'll do have you heard too, and I have a question for you. And have you heard? Do you want to hear the absolute hottest grime song that's out now that my daughter and I were playing the whole time we were in Maui, or do you want to hear a new song that's also that's hip hop that it sounds like old but it's new? I think I'm going to go with curtain number two because because. I love my hip hop old. My what do they call that now? They call that boom bop. Boom bop? <laughs> they, they, yeah, they call boom bop. They call 
the old school hip hop that we like, oh, the the new kids are calling it boom bop. I have no idea. Because it's like, but I, yeah, because it's like boom bop, like the, the beats go boom bop. Right. And, and it's funny because you listen to old hip hop and it does all go boom bop. You're right. Um, and now it's more like, <laughs> that's a mumble rap. That's future. Time. Future. You don't yeah. know what the hell he said. By the way, my daughter and I did an experiment because I was arguing with her. You have no idea what he's saying. So we, we, yeah. We try to figure it out. Then we get the lyrics. We read the lyrics. I still don't know what he's saying. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was words he was using that uh, I don't know what like they mean. Like Panda, that rap Panda, which I do love. Panda, Panda, Panda. You know Panda? Yeah. Panda, Panda. If you look at the lyrics, you know, I got broads in Atlanta. Yeah. That's the only thing I can understand he says. I got broads in Atlanta. Yeah. And then something about Salabar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it doesn't make any sense. Fanta. Panda, Panda. Uh, I don't, yeah, Panda, Panda. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. The lyrics don't make any sense because it doesn't really matter. No, it's a great beat. It's just about the soundscapes they create, as my son has told me. So, so I have, you know, although he, the lyrics mean something to him because he's always laughing <laughs> at the lyrics. <laughs> they mean something to him. It speaks to him. It's their, it's their music. We're just, we're just old folk. I guess so, but I mean, I try to, I try to talk to. I the try kids. to embrace it. He plays me stuff I like. I freaking love Eddie. What is it, Danny Brown? Some yeah. of the best stuff I've heard. I, I try to listen um, to new music as much as possible. And I do like New Music Fridays uh, on uh, uh, Spotify. And if I mm-hmm. like two or three songs out of the 50 that are there, that's a good, that's mm-hmm. a good Friday. Because it's just so yeah. much bad music, like too much music, but so much bad music coming out. But yeah, right. uh, if, you, if you look at the, 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 the lyrics for Designers Panda and you combine and you look at the lyrics for one of the future <laughs> songs, uh, at least... There's certain words he does use his own words like bando. I don't know what the hell that means. Yeah. He just put band and an O, so it rhymes yeah. with uh, whatever he's saying. But uh, futures lyrics uh, don't make a lot of sense, even though I, I, I do like no. his beats. Because he's because he's from the future. Um, I guess I don't know. <laughs> do, do you want to do you want to hear the the Frankie Knuckles uh, story? Yeah, I can't wait. It sounds like it's going to be. It's a fun story. So uh, oh, it's a fun story, except it has a little bit of a sad end. Well, I mean, it depends how you look at it. Uh, you know, it, the the sad part for me that my night ended early, but you know, somebody did have to die, so <laughs> I was very very upset yeah, about oh, that. Too bad. No. Yeah. Um, so went to this Frankie Knuckles tribute. Frankie Knuckles, for those of you that know don't know, is one of the legendary house music DJs passed away. They had a tribute in a in a club in uh, L.A. and I, I haven't I don't really go to clubs much, but you know haven't heard house music in a long time. Got to respect Frankie, Frankie yeah. Uh, we go to the club and basically the club had it's a big place and it had two sides to that. And one side was just a, a bunch of women. There was a line, long line, only women, and the other one hmm. didn't really have a line. So I realized I'm like, what's going on? Is this uh, Lesbian night, ladies' night, yeah. ladies' yeah. night. <laughs> Maybe the more, the more. Uh, you went, you went, it. you went the right way. I went the wrong <laughs> right, way. whatever that okay. way is. The right or left, the the Hitler uh, Jesus side. Uh, so, I, right. well, yeah. So it was a uh, a lesbian uh, club on the other side, and we went in and mm. uh, and it, they were playing Frankie Knuckles music. It wasn't too packed. But man, it was so cool to hear some of the songs that are on the list. And DJ's playing and we're right. dancing and it's, and it's cool. And then there's a couple, you know, guys on the dance floor dressed interestingly. Some drag queens are doing all these dance moves. Great. Uh, then I see a security guy 
and he looks a little bit frazzled and he's walking up mm-hmm. and he's looking behind the curtain he's, and he's like, I can see his eyes shifting. He's walking around panicked. I'm like, and I mm-hmm. told my friend, I'm like, yo man, something, something's up. Uh, yeah. Just watch out. I got your back. Stand behind. I don't know what's going on, but you know, it's like sort of Philly kicked in. If there's a fight, I got you. What do we do? Where are the exits? You know, what do I pull? So then he comes over, whispers something to DJ. Uh, then DJ stops playing. Everybody stops. He gets the mic. He said, okay, everyone, uh, please, uh, we have an emergency. Nobody panic. It's fine. Everybody exit out slowly, carefully, and, you know, everything's fine. Like, okay. Obviously, people start exiting not in a— Right. Quickly. They're just booking for the door. Let's go get out yeah. fast. So we start walking out, and— there are literally, I don't know, 30, 40 cop cars. Yellow tape is everywhere outside. There's helicopters above. Now, good news was that when I was parking, I found a parking spot that is directly across the street from the club. There's no park anyway. I got lucky. Uh, I think I gave, oh, the guy, there was a guy that was maybe homeless, maybe not. He was watching the, the, uh, uh, the lot. So I was smoking a joint. It just started. And he was like, hey, I'll help you. So I, I basically gave him my joint. And that's where he gave us a spot. But the bad news was that I couldn't get to my car because all the cop activity was there. And then the helicopters were there. So I was with my friend who happens to be black. And she's like, uh, I'm a black woman. There's helicopters and cops. I'm getting out of here. No matter what. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. So we walk. So, so we walk. Like literally six blocks all the way in the opposite direction. Turn. It took us forever to get to our car. But before we went, we went, I tried to find out what happened. So apparently what happened was uh, at the club next door, the attached club where they had the, the female club, there was a love triangle. One of the girls stabbed another girl to death in the bathroom hmm. and waited till the cops got there to arrest her because she was cheating with another girl so her girlfriend could say so basically three lives ruined the girl that got stabbed died the girl that stabbed most likely is going to go to jail and then the girl that has to burden all that love triangle stuff so it was uh, one time I go to a club and that's my experience but I did get to hear some uh, Frankie Knuckles and some good house music so you got to hear Frankie Knuckles and the worst most depressing love triangle story. I should write, I should play Bizarre Love Triangle as a result of that. Um, what song you want to share right, with me? Let's share. Oh, wait. First of yes. all, Packet of Rizla and a flask full of liquor Make the locals ask who's the master 
Thrill a page with the pain of scenes you can't picture. The last heavy hitter. So many consider me to be very bitter. Switching up my delivery, stitching up my injuries, and flipping imagery. Mixing toxins till I'm lost in the synergy. Drowning my misery. A man of mystery. I stand in the blistering heat as the epitome of the anti hero. Tipping my Stetson. Space cowboy, I drink whiskey with George Jetson. 2001, a space western. Quick on the door, bring the water like section. Blood sport veteran, contraband, good. Oh, there you are. What do you think? That was good. That was really good. There, that was that that brought me back. So, and that's new. It's huh? brand new. It's by someone called Jest J E H S T. So, I've been listening to a lot of British hip hop. So, the guy's name is William Billy Shields, and he's best known for his stage name is Jest. And he's an English rapper and co-producer of the hip-hop label YNR Productions. And uh, yeah, I, I love some of the British hip-hop because they're sort of finding old-school jazzy beats and they're going back. Instead of the mumble stuff that's going on, they're sort of trying to yeah, repeat finding, the— you knew it would. you knew it would come yeah. back. I, lo- I love that stuff, man. I think it's great. I like the grime stuff. I know you're not really keen on that too much, but uh, I like I think grime. It's, it's fun, like dancey fun. But this kind of stuff, I love the, that kind of you know jazzy type of uh, of hip hop. So that was jest. Um, cool. All right. Well, my 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 stereo has decided not to work. Um, but uh, next week, I'm really excited to play you. Um, I have 102 breakbeats right. here from from various songs, and I'm just going to play you a few because some I think you'll be really, really happy to hear when when this actually works. Yep. Um, and I'm freaking pissed off. Oh, I figured it out. Yeah, as, right, you, as you're doing do. this, by the way, just so everybody knows, some of the stuff that I get, this like cold stuff, I get it from OK Player. So just okay. uh, if uh, I, that's a great source, uh, you know, Questlove and all those guys, uh, it's a great source for they for, like OK yeah, Player, for really good. Music. Okay, player should should uh, sponsor this podcast. They should. I'm a fan. All right. Well, this has been fun, awesome. Len. I'm off to take my walk. Did you end up ever watching Mayor of Easttown? Yes, I did. I watched the whole thing. I it was. Did you watch the whole great, thing? Great, great, great. I can't believe that I did. It took me so long to. I didn't. I can't believe it because you're a Philly guy and if you right relate know, to it a bit. I know. All right. Let's talk about that in the next episode. You got it. I want to talk about the the finale. Cool. All right. Peace. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.